Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. Now here's Pastor Alex. Well, I had a kind of a sad couple of weeks. Two things died. Um, our boat <laughs> and one of our cats. Yeah, so it's kind of tough. Nancy the cat, who's actually a boy. Um, the story is that we found that cat wandering throughout the neighborhood, and we believe it was... Um, I don't know, kind of a year old maybe, not a little older than a kitten, but not much. And uh, we call her she. I'm just going to call her she, okay. Anyway, she uh, wouldn't come into the house, so we put food out, and then we put it closer to the house and closer. And she finally eventually had the, got up the courage. She ran in, looked around, and then scratched out and peeled back out the door. But after that, she gradually began warming up and trusting us, and so she became our cat. We adopted Nancy. The reason we named her Nancy is because she's all gray with white boots on all fours, you know, and so immediately my wife goes, oh, Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking. <laughs> you know, remember the go-go boots? And so we're calling her Nancy, and she never bothered to check the gender. She just said she's just going to be Nancy. And it was a boy the whole time. So anyway... Uh, <laughs> Nancy finally gave up the ghost. She was getting a little just lispy, lispy, listless. Uh -huh. She wouldn't eat anymore, and she was losing weight and could hardly stand up. And so we took her to the vet, and the uh, vet said, yeah, she doesn't have long to live. Uh, do you want me to put her down? And I said, no, no, I have to have Pam involved in that. We can't just make that decision by myself. So uh, I took her back home, and I, and I realized she's not eating because she's, we're not giving her the food she loves. She loves crunchy food. She doesn't like wet food. She'd lick the juice off and then walk away, and the other cat would eat the rest. So anyway, I started giving her crunchy food, and I'm thinking, oh, she's coming back because she just ate. I'm thinking, no wonder we've been starving her like torture. So she's eating like crazy, and about a day's worth of that, and then she just kind of, literally, she groaned it top of her lung, like a cat, like a human. Anyway, that was about it, and I said, honey, we got to take her in. So we had her put down, and that was Nancy. She's now uh, waiting to be buried beneath our pussy willow, which is where we always bury our cats. Anyway, before that, um, Monday was our last day to go on the boat because it was sunny and warm out. It was almost 70, like, you know, two Mondays ago. And uh, so we said, let's just do it one final time before we put it away. So um, I, had, I hadn't tuned it up for four years or done anything to it. I'm just figuring, you know, it's running great. I mean, I've been taking kids out and all this sort of stuff. So we're, we're motoring on up to Seward Park, one of our favorite parts. We just pop park there because it's kind of sheltered from the wind. And we just either nap or bring snacks and read books and just kind of hang out. And so we're up there just waiting for the sun to go down. It's getting darker and beautiful. And happening to be October, there's nobody else on the lake. There's like no one out there. Because people are done. You know, they put their boats away a month ago. So anyway, Pam and I go, let's get the paddles out. 
And I mean, Seward Park's a long ways. So we're starting, <laughs> we got this. How hard could it be? <laughs> Literally, I mean, it, our boat's a heavy boat. It's a small boat, but it's very heavy. And two people with oars, it's not going very fast at all. So finally, we see a guy come out of his house on the Seattle side, and he jumps on his little water bike, you know, and he, and he goes speeding by, and I've got my oars up, and I'm doing this. No, actually, we had those little foam um, noodles, you know, foam noodles. They're bright colors, like yellow and red. I'm doing this, you know, and he just keeps on going and keeps on going, and then this other boat comes flying by right next to us, and I'm going like this, and they just go... And then anyway, the guy on the water bike comes back, and he towed us all the way home. And it was so wonderful. He changed his entire planet, because it was almost sunset by then. I'm sure he came out just for a little sunset cruise, enjoy, enjoy the weather, last day of summer, whatever, and, and head on home. But he's invested his time taking care of us, and it was awesome, absolutely awesome. But I tell both of those stories because um, I had been neglecting the maintenance on that boat for four years, because it's been such a champ. I mean, it's just been... I neglected it one day too long. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, it doesn't really matter. I mean, when it's running well, it doesn't really matter, does it? And uh, when it came to Nancy, I'm thinking, I can just give her whatever she'll eat. It doesn't really matter, right? Just if she's eating and she's crunching it down. I can't imagine. She hadn't eaten for like two weeks, and so her system was probably completely shut down, but she's gulping down this food. And I'm thinking, hey, it's working, isn't it? Can I tell you, when it comes to walking by faith with the Lord, and, and wanting to be, become a remembered Christian, a person of influence, somebody who leaves a legacy, somebody who, who actually changes the course of history in the lives they touch. I, I like to look at it as, a, as a, a swan kind of parting the water and just see, leaving this little wake behind. I, I like looking at our lives as lives that have the potential to leave a wake of life and joy and health. But that only happens if we actually take seriously the fact that our lives do matter. Our decisions do matter. The choices we make do matter. And we don't get to just sort of kind of, you know, flip-flop through life and whatever, man. This morning I want to talk about Joseph because um, there's a fascinating angle that the writer of Hebrews puts on his life that I find quite surprising. You know, Joseph was really a hero of heroes, right? I mean, we know the story, and I'll get into that in just a little bit, but what you think matters may not matter at all. The reason I came up with that is because of what this verse says about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I find that fascinating. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I didn't even know that was in his life story. What I know about Joseph is probably the things you've heard as well. The kid was nuts for God. I mean, he was just crazy for God. And God gave him gifts and dreams. And, and his father, Jacob, was crazy about him. And his father, you know, gave him this beautiful, many-colored robe or coat or whatever it was. And, uh, and then his brothers were jealous. They hated it. They didn't like him getting all this attention. So they... Uh, threatened to murder him and leave him out in the field. And then his brother said, no, let's just put him in the cistern instead. And then somebody came along and said, no, let's sell him to these nomads going by. So he's completely betrayed by his, his family. That's not in there. And I'm thinking, that's like the story of Joseph's life. 
betrayal. And then he's uh, found in, in Potiphar's home. And uh, then he's falsely accused of, of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. And because he's a man of integrity, he ran out of the room, I think without any clothes on. He said, I don't care. I'm out of here. You are not going to make me sin. And so that's, that's his story. He's a man of integrity, right? And, uh, and then he gets thrown in prison unjustly. Potiphar says, sorry, man, you're guilty. My wife says you're guilty. You're guilty. You're going to prison. While he's in prison, he, he sees a fellow uh, prisoner, a baker and a cupbearer, and, and he has dreams about their future, and they're right on the money. And because of his dreams, he's released from prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream, and, and Pharaoh's getting all wigged out about these seven skinny cows and these seven fat cows. And uh, the baker says, hey, I heard there's a guy who interprets dreams. And so, of course, he invites Joseph in. He interprets the dream. Hey, it's going to be seven years of prosperity, then seven years of famine for your country, Egypt. And with that, what does he get? A promotion. He's now number two guy in Pharaoh's court. That's the story of Joseph, right? That's why he's a hero of the faith. He kept trusting God, doing the right thing every turn. He, he kept saying yes to God, no to sin. And uh, he kept taking punishment that he didn't deserve. He was, he was sacrificing his life. And even when he was in prison, he thrived and became kind of like the prison manager. Because he was saying, hey, wherever I'm at, I'm serving God. That's the story of Joseph, right? But the writer of Hebrews says nothing about that. And I felt the Lord said, you know why? It's because what you think matters may not matter at all. What I think matters is all these wonderful, amazing, heroic deeds in the life of Joseph. You know what God culminates that life with? It's a declaration. He says, what Joseph is being remembered for. In fact, he's a hero of faith. By faith, here's what he did with that entire culmination of his life. Everything added, piled up together, all this amazing, wonderful, godly stuff he did. You know what he focused on? Speaking a bright future to the next generation. That was the most vast and influential thing he could have done right before he died. He said, I want you brothers, Israelites, and all your descendants to know you're going back to the promised land. It will happen. He prophesied this literally about 400 years before it occurred. This was early in Israel's time in Egypt. And so I'm looking at this and going, well, I want to be a hero of the faith but I, I thought I had to like just be this amazing Christian and take unjust punishment and be a man of integrity under temptation and, and uh, be in power with the king and help manage their resources in times of famine. And Lord, I want to be that kind of guy. God says, that's all good, but you know what? All of those were preparation for this moment here. The reason he could say with confidence, brothers, you will return to the promised land is because of every single one of these moments along the way. You see, you don't become a person of faith overnight by making some grand gesture, some grand, taking some grand risk. We become heroes of faith by every single day doing what he says. This is a recurring theme. You've heard me say this about Abraham and about Noah and about Abel. It's in the day-to-day -day little stuff that actually matters. And then when the time comes for you to, have, to, to leave a lasting legacy, to maybe perhaps prophesy a bright future for someone in your family, someone in your community. It might just be in a, a brief conversation at work 
when you and I understand the power that we have to speak truth, to speak hope, to speak life into other people's lives, then we're operating in faith. Even if we're not 100% sure it's going to take place. But you know what? Joseph had this relationship that was built over time, over time, over time, over time. And one incident after another, he got to know the heart of God. It wasn't a stretch for him to say, brothers, you're going back. In fact, I'm so confident, get my bones ready because they're going with you. I love this because it encourages me to, to recognize that there are so many people all around us that don't have hope. They don't sense a great future. They don't sense anything good coming their way. In fact, they're living life on defense most of the time. And they could be in your family. They could be in your church. It could be in your extended family. But hopelessness is everywhere. And so if we would just recognize, Lord, if I can just learn to stay faithful in the little things and then recognize when I have an opportunity to, to tell someone, hey, you know what? God has something good for you. I want you to stand your ground. I want you to hold your ground. I want you to be ready for it. I want you to look for it. I want you to anticipate the goodness of God. Declaring a bright future, not just some kind of happy-go-lucky, oh, let's do positive mental attitude day. You know, it's, that doesn't hurt, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying knowing the heart of your Father. When I first came up after worship and we just sung about at the cross, at the cross, when your blood ran red, my sin ran white. I'm not just reiterating words to a song, and I'm not just going, oh, that's a good religious thing to say because it's true. No, I'm declaring it because we need to constantly hear that bright, hopeful future that God has laid for us, and that's what the blood of Jesus does. About eight years ago, I uh, felt like the Lord said, uh, find a way to get into the schools around here. Find a way to get into the schools. So I met the principal at Northwood, met the principal at Ridgewood. I think I stopped right there. My, my previous venture was to uh, meet apartment managers up and down the Petrovsky Corridor. So I went and met about 10 different managers looking for someone who might need some help. And I was going to offer volunteers from our church to start kind of getting into the community. And uh, about apartment manager number 10, the Fairwood apartment manager said, yes, we would love to have you guys. And they've opened their doors for us. Praise God. But I was also wanting to get into the schools. And so I went over to, to Ridgewood and um, I met the school counselor. The principal was not in, but the school counselor was there. And oh, I forgot her name. Beautiful name. Some kind of um, Pakistani, Indian, beautiful name. Uh, and, and she said, come, come, come and sit in my office. I I'd like to talk with you. And so she had me sit in, it was like a first grade chair and a first grade table. And I'm not sure why. Maybe she was testing me, like, how does this guy really feel about kids, you know? And it was, it's Ridgewood, you know, elementary. So anyway, I'm sitting in this little tiny chair. My knees are bumped up against the table, and she's trying to pick my brain. What do you want to do here? Why are you here? Have you done this before? And I said, I just, I, I feel like I have something to share with a kid who might need it. I, I just, I love kids, and, and I can relate, and I just want to be their friend. Do, do you have anybody in mind? And she said, yeah, there's a boy who's, whose father has died from a drug overdose, and his stepdad is now in jail, and you know the story. His name is Tucker. Tucker was 11 years old. Tucker and I just had lunch. He's 19 now. 
just had lunch uh, about a week ago, and um, when I met Tucker, he was in a dark place. He was dark. I mean, he just, you could see, it was darkness, man. His, his parenting and his experiences were, had just been horrendous. And um, I remember talking to him once about girls. Okay, he's a sixth grader, so he's kind of getting interested now. And, uh, and then I started talking to him about marriage. And I said, do you think you'll ever get married? I will never get married. Yeah, but you got so much to offer some. I will never get married. And I said, how about kids? Do you like kids? I will never have kids. I'm a kid. My parents were married. It's nothing but horrible. At lunch last week, he said, yeah, I've got a steady girlfriend, and um, we're thinking about someday maybe getting married. And I said, what about kids? He goes, I love kids. <laughs> I said, how's, how's your job going? Well, I was at Wendy's, working behind the counter, and uh, I became assistant manager after about three months. And uh, I had regular customers that would come in all the time. This one guy got to know me a little bit, and then he finally came in one day and said, how would you like a job? He's making 11 bucks an hour at Wendy's. How would you like a job? Uh, Tucker goes, yeah, like what? He goes, well, how does $22 an hour sound? Well, yeah, um, what do I do for that? He goes, if you could just load and unload trucks in our warehouse, it would be awesome, and you get paid overtime, you get benefits, you get the whole nine yards, and he says, I'm in. He quit that day, and he started working for this, this guy loading trucks. This is a beautiful thing for me because um, what, I, what I was able to learn in that process is though he's still working on moving toward Jesus. He's not there yet. But what I've seen is that my words, my presence, speak in a bright future. I just, I'm so proud of you. You got... You got an A in that class. I'm so proud of you. You, you signed up for that welding class, and, and you took it, and you completed it. I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job. And it was, it was obvious, and you've done this with people. You've seen it. He was just dripping with joy, and just kind of like the, the, the scales and the hardness and the darkness were just being peeled away. It's wonderful that I'm learning it's, it's a lifetime project. We're all lifetime projects, right? This one moment in Joseph's life when he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites, it had to have just been like that, the washing, the balm over his brothers to think, really? Is it possible the promise to our father Abraham could come true? Joseph said, yes. Now, I'm going to die. Go bury me, collect my bones, and hang on to them because we're going back. I want to encourage you, heroes of faith, are obedient in the little things so that in those moments where you can speak life, you'll know with confidence who God has made you and what God has for others around you. You want to speak those words of life. You want to speak those words of life every chance you get. The second thing I, I'm learning from Joseph is um, people need God more than they need you or me. That's not new to anybody. But you know what? We do get confused sometimes. We do begin thinking when we are useful and helpful to others and, and we see God using us to bless and care for and solve and reconcile things, it, it can get tempting to start taking care of everybody. And it's not that you're going to flaunt it or brag or boast. It's not, it's not about that. It's, it's a little more tricky than that. You don't even notice it. It's when you begin thinking, I am responsible. If someone comes to me with a need, I, I have to sit until we get this puppy solved. 
And we gotta talk this thing through, and then if it doesn't work, let's make another appointment, baby, because I gotta make sure this thing works out. When we read the story of Joseph back in Genesis, the incident that Hebrews is talking about, I want you to notice something. When Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God will come to your aid. He will take you up. He is the one who promised. He is the one who fulfilled it. Not me. Remember, Joseph, most powerful man in the land right next to Pharaoh. He could have done anything and had any request answered. Pharaoh had given him that much favor. But he didn't use his authority to solve or bless his brother's needs. He says, God's going to take care of this for you. It's a God thing. It's not a Joseph thing. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath. I like it. I want you to swear to me that you'll believe this promise is true. Is that cool or what? I mean, I have people swear, okay, swear when you promise you're going to show up, you show up, right? Or, you know, there's an obligation that we make and, and we're supposed to, like, keep our promises. He's going, no, I want you to swear on oath that God really is going to do what he said. He's surely going to come to your aid. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. I love that Joseph is, he, he's pointing his brothers back to God. No, it's God. I know, I've been a blessing to you. Remember, they came into his court. He pretended to not know them, sent one brother back, held one brother in jail, made him go back again, bring their dad. And he was just really messing with their minds because you know, they were the ones who betrayed him, and he was acting like he was going to punish them, and they were terrified until he uncovered himself and said, it's me, it's Joseph. I didn't die. It's me. Okay, so they have this like awestruck feeling about Joseph now. Things have turned right side up considerably. You know, they're not making fun of him, trying to kill him anymore. They're like going, oh my gosh, he could have killed us and we would have deserved it. And now he's treating us with this incredible grace. So, so he had already built up this reputation with his brothers where he could have just snapped a finger, man, and just changed their lives just like that. He doesn't do that. He says, no, it never has been because of me. It's because of God. What you meant for harm, God turned for good. I want you to keep your eyes on him. Swear to me you'll believe his promise. Folks, can, can we just recognize that living in this really broken world, it's easy to start getting worried. It's easy to start going, oh, those North Koreans, man. Oh, and president, oh. It's easy to really just start getting nervous, and it changes the way you live. I, I hear the Lord saying, no, if you want to be a hero of the faith, swear that you'll trust me. I swear that you'll believe my goodness in spite of everything else or how crazy it gets. For you personally, he's going to take care of it. He's going to bring you in. It's going to happen. Done deal. Live, breathe easily because your eyes are on him. I was at a, uh, a wedding about a month ago. Some of you might have been there. I think a few. You know, Gil and Gloria Gravel are missionaries. Their son, Mark, uh, was getting married. And he lives here in Seattle. Gil and Gloria, they're down in Orange County, California. And um, so they decided they want to have a wedding on Orcas Island at Rosario Resort, which I don't think I'd ever been to. But we were invited. And we said, let's figure out a way to get there and do it. So we had this amazing ferry ride and got all the way over to Rosario. The weather was perfect. It was still summertime, September, I think. And... Uh, 
I remember it came time for the ceremony. It's up on this beautiful bluff overlooking the water. They, they, have kind of, they call it like Wedding Hill. This is what they do at Rosario. So um, we're all seated now, and, and the couple is going to walk down the aisle. And um, the thing that nobody really warned us about was the hill getting up to Wedding Hill is like this steep slope. And so we're all seated there, and we had already kind of taken that hike, and, uh, but the wedding party hadn't. So they're all like parking at the bottom of the hill, and we can kind of see them over there. Suddenly the music begins, and so many, I mean, you know, girls in high heels, they're like trudging up this hill, you know, and we're dressed. And by the time they got to the top, they're just like exhausted, they're like sweaty, and just like heaving air. But they're all laughing their heads off. They thought, this is so crazy. It's so fun. So by the time everybody got down to the altar, you know, they spread out and they fanned out and everything, um, the pastor goes, <laughs> we're all in good shape now. Um, so as the, as the wedding's going on, we're enjoying that. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I remember uh, Mark, when he was a little kid, I visited Erie and Jaya, the island, mission, uh, yeah, mission, what do you call it, submission, outpost, where Gil and Gloria were. It really was an outpost. And uh, I remember uh, Gil took us to this special beach they would go to and, and Mark jumping off his tree. And I've got film of Mark when he's like six years old, jumping out of his tree into the water. I'm thinking, ah, oh, we go back a long ways, man. I love this kid. And when he moved up here and they all came back to the States permanently, um, I said, Mark, I need a roofing helper. I need you and about four of your best friends. So Josh LaRoche, Kevin's son, uh, Michael Olson, my nephew, and uh, Tanner, uh, Cobb, and anyway, it was about five all high school kids, and so I remember uh, getting them up on a roof, and I need you guys to tear this thing off. It's a tear off, three layers of just filthy, dirty, hot, sweaty, one of the ugliest jobs you'll ever do. How many of you ever torn off a roof before? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Some of us are just made for it. I just love it. Well, I used to love it. So anyway, I'm thinking, oh, look at him. I'm, I'm teaching this young boy how to work. You know, he's still in high school, and he's getting, doing man's work and, you know, physical labor and stuff. And so anyway, we get to the wedding. The wedding is over. It's now time for the re, what do you call that, afterwards? The reception, yeah. Uh, and Mark and Anissa are walking from table to table to table, just thanking their guests. And so he gets to our table, and I'm standing up, and I'm thinking, oh, I have to shape this kid's life. I have to, I'm the reason he's standing here today. You know what he said to me? Alex, I remember when we were on that roof, you taught me how to not just eat the orange, but to eat the orange peel. <laughs> That's it? That's it? And he goes, yeah, because you told me that's where all the vitamin C is. And it's true. I actually love orange peels um, as well as oranges. But that's all he remembered. I'm going, after all I've done for you. The cool thing is both he and his wife are, are really on fire for Jesus. I mean, it was a very, very strong, clearly Christian wedding. And you see, i got to be careful. It's, it's easy to think, hey, I, I, it's something to do with your success. No, I need to go, no, God. God, God. I, thank you, I got to be a part. I got to participate, but it was never me in the first place. And anything in me that really is good, that is good, comes from him. There's a... Final thing I want to mention to you about Joseph. This is the statement that you're familiar with probably from the parable of the talents. Faithful in little will make us influential over much. When we, when we learn to just keep saying yes in the little stuff, 
That's what builds confidence for the big stuff. That's just a fact of life, right? I've always, I've always been a little, I don't know, too aggressive sometimes wanting what God wants. I want everything you have, Lord. I want it now. Anybody else like that? I just want everything you've got. And that's good when you're young because that, that aggressive kind of hungry spirit makes you a good student, right? It, you, you move more quickly when you're hungry. But I find even as I get older, I may not be, have the same level of energy, but I still want everything God has, and I want it now. And I think I'm so ready for it. I think I'm so mature now, and look, look what I've been through, Lord. I'm now ready to take on the next big thing. <laughs> and the Lord goes, you don't know what little or big is. You don't even know. I mean, how, how, where's your reference point? Faithful in little is what I call little. And, and you have no clue what it is. So when you're done being faithful in little, I will let you know. And this goes back to all the things I just previously said about Joseph. Faithful in the little, faithful in the little, faithful in the little, faithful in the little. I, I can't overstate this. You and I have to recognize we need to be people who take things seriously when they come from the mouth of our God. We need to take seriously opportunities like this. Um, the principle, as I mentioned in an email most of you got that. Uh, the principal at Northwood said, you know, attendance is down at Northwood this year. Money is not flowing. We had to lay some people off. Parents are all working, both parents now, so volunteerism has just kind of disappeared. The PTAs is like hardly existing anymore. Can you please come over and help us? Please. We need mentors. We need lunch monitors. We, we're thinking about starting a homework help program. And Kevin, I, and Pam have been talking about, we could set up our church for two hours on Wednesday afternoon and have kids come to our place and have tables and food and games and, and actual homework get done. She's just going, but do not commit if you cannot be consistent. Do not. Do not. So we've been praying on this for about two weeks now, and I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm asking you now, some of you need to be mentoring a student over there this school year. You get to be on campus in the presence of those six or 800 kids, along with their staff, one day a week, one hour, and influence one child. Not to mention all the residual things that you get to do and people you get to see and touch and get to know throughout the school year. They need the presence of Jesus there. And some of you need to be the people who say yes to this. It may not be every single week. It may, for you, have to be every other week. It's not quite so demanding. But some of us need to get over there. And God is waiting, and he's saying, for you, it may feel gigantic, but this is a little thing. This is one of those little things. So I have a clipboard out there, and if you'd like to check it out, Write your name down. Give us your contact info. What we'll do is we'll have a class again. We've had a couple classes in the past where you get trained to be a mentor by a gal named Dee Clem. She's from Communities and Schools, and uh, she is awesome. I learned so much. I'll go through the class again. It was so good. About three hours on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning, and we'll have food. And uh, if we could send a team of people and just say, we're in between now and June. Some of us might just be able to once in a while, show up on a Wednesday afternoon and help kids with homework. Some of you are great at math. Some of you are great at English and spelling and that kind of stuff. 
Um, if we can get something going regularly, maybe only once a month to begin with, God has opened a door for us. And we need to say yes to it. I got challenged. I'm going to just put this out there so I can now be accountable to you. I was challenged at our conference. By the way, the pastor's conference was awesome. It was a really, 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 really good time. Thank you for sending us. I don't know if you know this, but part of your tithes and offerings send the staff once a year to our Northwest District Conference, and it's an excellent investment. So thank you so much. One of the things that I learned, though, was... Um, you know, they have powerful main meetings, powerful worship, great speakers in the big auditorium. And then they have workshops, you know, in the afternoon and in the morning. And, and so I like to do a blend of doing big, powerful, speak to me, God, and practical stuff. So I, I said, oh, look, it, there's one. It, uh, it's all about um, media and the Internet and marketing and, and uh, just kind of catching up with the culture on all that stuff, you know. And so I, I took that seminar, and it's three young women, um, who all work at the district or at one of the large churches, and they do all the, all the websites and all that kind of stuff and phones and texting and Instagramming. And, and so I walked in there, and here's, here's what I told the Lord. I said, Lord, you have to convince me that I need to do this because if I'm not convinced, I don't want to try to learn one more thing. I mean, I, I have a Facebook account. Some of you may know that, but I don't have many friends. <laughs> And that's, that's by design. It's like I don't want any more friends because I, can't, I can hardly keep up with the relationships I do have. I don't need a thousand more. And so anyway, I come into the seminar, and uh, long story short, they, they did an awesome job. I'm totally convinced I need to get on Facebook and be active. I need to learn Instagram and be active. I need to be available to people because they're not checking anything else. They're not going to call me and say, hey, Alex, you got a minute to talk? No, they're going to go, Send. That's how people communicate now, right? Not all of us, but most of our culture is going that way. And just because the devil has used those mediums for hurtful and destructive things does not mean God cannot use them for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. And although it feels huge because I now have to learn one more thing, I don't want to. The Lord said, it's a little thing, Alex, that really could, you, you have no idea the influence you might have in someone's life, just by a little text that you send because you thought about him. Said, hey, I've been praying for you, and the Lord gave me a verse. Send. Who knows what that can do for the future of someone's life? I want to be a Joseph kind of guy where all the things I've been learning on my entire life still have influence now for the next generation. So there, I, there it is. Hold me accountable. Ask me in a week if I've done anything about that at all. Okay. What's that? Okay, yeah, start friending me, yeah. There you go. I love it. And I think we'll hear along with Joseph the same words that Jesus offers to those of us who invest. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Like Joseph, you may never actually get back to your promised land. But your descendants can you know, Moses took the children of Israel all the way out of Egypt, all the way up to the edge of the promised land. He could see it. He didn't go in. But he prepared an entire generation to thrive there. I'll take that for a legacy. I don't have to show up myself. As long as somebody I love does. So, Father, we thank you for the chances that you've already given us, Lord, to be faithful and little. Lord, help us not to measure and gauge 
the opportunities you present for us, but to just obey you, just say yes. Help us not to uh, meet out our energy and our time and our resources as if we have to control everything so we don't overspend ourselves. Help us to just be generous with the life you've given us. Because, Lord, we want to be heroes of the faith. We want to be in that list of people who said yes to you and in our own unique individual ways had an influence on the course of history. Help us, Lord, to be courageous and say yes to the opportunity today. If you're calling us to mentor a kid or at least come to the training and find out, give us the courage to say yes and sign up. And Lord, we thank you for all the other opportunities you'll give us this week, during the week, to speak words of hope, a bright future for those around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, may God bless you. Have a rich, rich week. And I mean that. Let it be a rich week in Him. Yes, God's Word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education programs. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.